Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To-Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth mining companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset. I'm here with Simon Severino, author of Strategy Sprints and Habits of Success. He is also the CEO of global consultancy Strategy Sprints. Simon, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining all the way from Austria. I know you said it's been a long day, and I think you said this was maybe your seventh interview or seventh podcast for the day, so we're glad to have you. Man, as I was looking through your website prior to this, there's a lot of good stuff. The thing that we focus on, on the go-to-market mindset is anything related to personal growth, business growth, sales growth. And it looks like you have a little bit of all that on your website and for your clients. If you're running a business, the concern number one is to stay in the game. We might have a recession. We might have stagflation. The problem is nobody knows, right? And we have to take decisions as business owners Without any data, there is no data forward. There's a couple of things that we can explore. How we manage the costs right now, how we manage our mindset right now, and how we stay in the game and are ready for the opportunities because most of your competitors will not be around next year. And so there are opportunities there to gain clients, and also to buy competitors. So wherever you want to go, we can go. It's very interesting times and it's there are many, many fields we can explore. Sure. So let's try this. Let's start really high level. I know on your website, you talk about strategy sprints gives owners an opportunity to work on the business instead of in the business. That's something that's talked about a lot. It means a lot of different things. To different people, but maybe you could give us a high-level overview of what that means in, in your world. And I know you talk about the sprints being 14 hours per week to work on the business. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, so things in the business are everything client-related and admin. Things on the business is everything growth-related and it has a higher level. So basically, does an activity move forward part of your business or does it move forward the whole business so in the business is client work if you're still doing client work you're working in the business at some point you become the bottleneck of your business because while you are solving your clients problems nobody's solving yours yeah and on the business means that at some point you have to get out of the weeds and this is what we coach people to do, get out of the weeds. And so we help them free up 10 to 14 hours of their time per week, because we will need to work with them on form, fit, and function of their sales processes, form, fit, and function of their operations. I'm not even talking marketing yet, because first, we have to get operations and sales ready, especially for 
small businesses that are below 35K per month. When you are below 35K per month, you shouldn't touch marketing at all. This is a huge mistake I see people doing. Before you dial in operations and sales, you should probably not spend one cent or one minute on marketing. Interesting. And interesting. And Simon, you one of the things that you talk about is the three CEO habits. And I'm guessing that this is somehow tied to freeing up time and the processes and systems that CEOs can create within their business. Do you want to tell me a little bit about the, the three CEO habits? Yeah. So when everything around you is not in your control, supply chains are not in your control. Markets are not in your control. Hiring is not in your control. Even sales is not in your control. Not even with our with our best blueprints and, and fantastic sales estimation flows. Not even with that, sales is not in your control. So what is really in our control as a business owner? I think it's just the 5% and we break it down into daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit. So whatever happens outside, these three habits are always in my control when I run a business. Daily habit. How am I allocating my time today? What will I delegate, automate, outsource tomorrow? So I go through my day and I say, ah, I did 20 minutes Instagram and then 10 minutes YouTube and then one hour sales call and then 10 minutes putting the data of that sales call into the CRM. And I go through all of them and say, which one could I delegate, outsource or automate tomorrow? And that's what I will do tomorrow. That's the daily habit. Weekly habit is give me the three numbers that will tell me that we are moving in the right direction at the right pace this week. One marketing number, one sales number, one operations number. And we build a simple visual dashboard with those three numbers. And you see current of this week and you see target according to your three sprint goals. So every three months have three goals. And those get measured every seven days. That's the strategy sprints method. So the weekly thing is, let's look at the numbers. Are we moving in the right direction at the right pace? And then there is a monthly habit. What else can our clients do? And what are our top three competitors doing? So that's the strategic check once a month, strategy check, competitive analysis check. And this is very practical. With our tool, it's just half an hour. You put it in there and it creates for you three buckets. It says, look, this is where you have to cut costs. This is where you have to reinvest costs next month. So we do a monthly budgeting so that you every month shift a little bit into a better strategic position. And how do you do that? You pick your 10 features, the 10 things that make your offer, and you compare yourself against your competitors. You find the two where you are losing, you cut 15%. You find the two where you are winning against your competitor. So this week you are winning against your competitor. You reinvest those 15%, 20%. You reinvest them next month into where you are already winning. So let's see, let's say that. The quality of your customer onboarding is where you are winning. And creating reports about the industry is where you are losing. You would cut 15% from you know, time and money that you do in creating reports. And you will put that into your already amazing onboarding system. Got it. And how would one go about benchmarking 
their performance in those categories versus a competitor? You know, benchmarking, <laughs> I'm since 21 years, I'm a strategy advisor. And so benchmarking was a was a huge thing for, for 20 years. And I think we made a huge mistake all the time because benchmarks are always about the past and about others. It's never about you. And they're always, always compared to the industry. What's the industry of Tesla? Who do you benchmark Tesla against? <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah, they're against General Motors, where there's just a tiny fraction of what Tesla is doing. And then who you put next, right? So benchmarks don't really help. If you want to benchmark, benchmark yourself, so your team against yourself last week. That's the only benchmark that is telling you something. There is no benchmark out there that is helpful unless one benchmark, your team, against last week. Can you be better than yourself? You as a team, can you be better than yourself last week by 1%? That's your benchmark. That's what you need to, to win this week. So the, the real competitive analysis is not against benchmarks is question one, what else can the clients do? So if I don't work with your offer, what else can I do? I can hire Mike the intern to do it. I can do nothing. I can hire a full-time person. And then top three competitors, people who don't buy from me, from whom are they buying and why? That's, that's, that will tell you something and that's relevant information you can act upon right now. Okay, makes sense. So you're saying that instead of benchmarking, instead of measuring yourself against others, do some research, find out what it is that you're doing best or find out what other people are saying as far as what you're doing well or what you're not doing well or what you could be doing more of or what you could be doing differently. Yes, and instead of researching, go directly because you know if they are your competitors, that means they took three clients from you this week. Otherwise, they are not your competitors. Now you're, you're making up competitors. If they are your competitors, that means they took three clients from you or you took three clients from them. You met them. It means you met them in some boardroom, in some hotel. They closed the door. You opened the door. You were at the same pitch. You were invited to, to hand in an offer and you saw their offer. So then they are really your competitor. So again, it's not research. It's not wasting a lot of time or money on making analysis. You know your competitors because they are taking your clients. And they know you, so you know each other. And you know also what your clients can do if they don't work with you because you talk to them. So you know that, yeah, Mike, the intern could do it. No, 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 Mike is too young. He, he won't do it. So Got it's it. just this level of very pragmatic half an hour and then decide on your budget instead of the traditional, you know, three weeks benchmark study or six months market research study for Got small it. businesses. Better, better to save there and to focus on focus on the customer. Got it. And so, in the the small businesses that we're talking about, and for you know, for this sake, we'll say you know, below I, mean, I don't know, maybe below ten million dollars. Who who exactly should be involved in this conversation? So, for me, the difference is: are they doing less than thirty five k per month or more than thirty five k per month? And in in the first case, 
it's just, you know, it's not more than three people. And so everybody is in that Friday meeting where there is half an hour strategic conversation. And I say half an hour because with our blueprint, with our template, it just takes half an hour for three people to do that whole analysis and decision and rebudgeting. Now, when you have bigger teams above 35K and per month, and now you have bigger teams, now you pick four people. You pick the owner, one person that represents operations, one that represents marketing, and one that represents sales. And those four people have these conversations once a month for again half an hour uh, with our blueprint or a little bit longer if they need to build their blueprint first. But I would say half an hour, four people, and representing those four four core elements. Got it. And so Simon, in our world and in, in Sandler, we talk about pain indicators or what is the, the manifestation of the problem that, that the client is able to see and articulate. So in your world, in the absence of your solution, the absence of a blueprint and a process and a, a plan and a strategy, what are some of the things that a CEO, a business owner might be saying to himself or herself that would let you know, or maybe let them know that they're missing what it is that you're able to bring to the table? Well, imagine a business that doesn't have those three habits, right? Doesn't have an operating system that gets the reality reported every seven days and has a monthly rebudgeting. So problem number one, they're basing their decisions based on feelings, based on narratives, based on assumptions, but not on data because they don't have the marketing data every week. They don't have the sales data every week. They don't have the operations data every week. So they couldn't even decide on a weekly basis. And as you know, entrepreneurs need to decide every day, not every week, not every month, not every six months. They need to decide every day. Do we go with this CRM or with that? Do we take that supplier or the other? Big, big decisions every day. So one, taking decisions without data. Second, when you don't have your weekly sales numbers, your weekly marketing numbers, you don't know the growth trajectory. So it's it's really impossible to do a sales forecast, a sales estimation, a sales pipeline number, sales form, fit, and function of the sales workflows. How do you know we should hire some setters, we should hire some closers? You don't even know because you don't have the basis for that, right? You don't know your reality. You don't know your velocity and you don't know your cash flow because you don't know the profits. And then the third thing is speed. Right now, the most important thing is speed of learning. Well, okay, the, the foundation is that you stay in the game. It's liquidity and cash flow. But then if you have liquidity and cash flow, so if you can still be around next year, then the next most important thing is your speed of learning. How fast are you learning about the people you are here to serve? How fast and how deep are you learning? Are you getting better at understanding them, at serving them? Because if you are, then you have a better strategic positioning. You are more likely to be around. You are more likely not to lose clients. So I guess taking it even one step further, in the absence of, of this data used to make decisions, what are some of the things that would typically happen to a business that would make a, a CEO scratch their head and say, uh, you know, I'm stuck and this doesn't just seem this just doesn't seem to to be working? 
they have no time and they have no money. Okay. <laughs> no time. They can't go on vacation because they're scaling chaos. You cannot go on a long vacation when 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 your business is actually chaos. Without those without those three pillars, you cannot have a meeting cadence that really feeds into each other and builds upon each other. Without a meeting cadence, you cannot leave the business a month alone. So what we do with our clients is we ask them to have a four weeks uninterrupted vacation and put it into their calendar. And the first reaction is they panic. They go, are you crazy? I can't do that. And then we go, okay, put it in next year. Okay, put it in your calendar next year. And then they put, they do, and that changes everything. Because now they think back, okay, what, what's the meeting cadence? How, which, which thing do I need to install in, in terms of processes so that I can be that month away at, and, and the thing works. The thing can learn, can adapt. There are self, self-healing mechanisms, self, self-correcting mechanisms in place. Because you don't have them when you have, when you're scaling chaos, you just don't have them. And so you either don't have money because you don't, you're not making enough sales. And that's a big problem. Or you are doing enough sales, but your operations are chaos. And so you are scaling chaos, which will create again a ton of problems on the time side. Sure. And what are, what are some of the KPIs that businesses might look at on the operations side? Operations, you can think of the NPS score. How happy are your clients? You can see the number of referrals per week. How many clients introduced you to other possible clients? So, for example, in B2B businesses, that's probably the main growth machine is to build in a referral engine that every client introduces you to three other clients. And so you create some specific celebration points. You you define points in time from your operations when you will celebrate them. Wow, congrats, you just unlocked this achievement. By the way, who else needs this? It's, it's a timing game. If you ask in the right moment, you will get three introductions. And you will probably have two or three chances during one cycle of working with your client to ask those things. So you have to time them well. That's what we call the referral engine. So you design that experience and you, you define specific points where you will ask. That's one thing that you can measure. So how many client referrals did we get uh, this week? And client referral means clients referring you to others. Another thing that you can measure is uh, happiness, like how, how happy are they? You can measure that with, with an NPS. You can measure that with other qualitative or quantitative methods, like from 1 to 10. How helpful is this? What can we improve? What else do you need? And then you can measure if you have a subscription business, you measure the churn rate. How many people are you losing from your current cohort? So the percentage that you're losing from a subscription business. You know, most businesses nowadays to be resilient, they have a mix of both. They have a subscription part, some subscription driven revenue streams and some some more customized project based. And so for the subscription part, you look at the cohort. How many are you losing? Is it 3% or is it 5%? That's a huge difference. In your experience, what's kind of an average retention rate for a subscription-based business? Oh, that's very different. And it's very different in B2B and in B2C. It's very different depending on the price. It's very different if you have a six-month subscription, a monthly subscription, or a yearly subscription. But we have on our website a full list 
uh, of all that. I wouldn't call it a benchmark, but it's a full list of all subscriptions businesses and the the average uh, current average churn rate that you should accept and the current average churn rate where you have to look deeper into it at strategiesprints.com. Got it. Got it. Sounds like a great resource. And let me ask you on your website, I saw it says how to double revenue in 90 days. Can you, are you allowed to tell me a little bit about that with, without having to kill me? Sure, sure. It's, it's quite open. I, I describe in the book and even our clients describe in the book, the foreword is written by one of our clients. The case stories are written by our clients. So it's very public and it's, it's not even hard. If you want to double revenue in 90 days, you focus on three things. And it has to do again with, you know, uh, wasting less time on marketing. The three things to focus on are the, from all the activities that you are doing, you detract all activities that are not increasing by 25% the frequency of your sales. How can you increase the frequency of your sales? By reducing sales time. How do you reduce sales time from awareness to closing? By creating more experiences in a shorter time frame. How you do that? We have full blueprints for that. Reducing sales time is easy right now because we have so many more ways of creating experiences. We don't, we don't have to fly somewhere. We can use video. We can use social media. We can use a ton of things to create 12 to 15 experiences faster than than in the traditional world where you have to fly there and have dinners or go to conferences. So the things that increase by 25% the sales frequency by shortening the sales time. The second thing, the things that increase by 25%, the price that you can charge for the same offer. Ah, oh, but Simon, it's the same offer. How can I charge more? There is no same offer. The value, and there is no value. There is nothing like value. Value is always a perceived value from a customer's perspective. So you go through the eight things from the customer perspective. You know, an Apple computer is not more valuable than a Microsoft computer. It's, it's a positioning thing. And the perceived value is on the other side. It's not in the price. It's on the other side. So I buy it. I buy a Mac, even if it's more expensive. It, it is not more valuable than a Microsoft computer. But it's, it is what is right for me. And that's the perceived value. It's, it's what I need. And so you see that price is something that is in the eye of the client. And that perception is something that uh, you work on in positioning. There are eight things that you do right in positioning. And then you can increase by 25% the price. And some of those things are de-risking the decision by having client testimonials um, in a specific way from their industry. You can go on our website, strategiesprints.com slash love, and we have 160 love letters from our client in a visual way. They talk to you as a video. They have written love letters. There are screenshots. That is de-risking the decision for a a, an interested person who wants to work with us. And it's also positioning us as something that has worked so many times. Now it's easy for us to increase our price without losing uh, market shares because the positioning work is done. And so that's the second thing. The third thing 
is to increase by 25% the conversion rate on your current sales calls. Most, most sales happens in Zoom right now. And so we get the recordings from our clients and we do some very old school analysis of the body language and what they say and how they say it and improving the sales script. And now people go, oh, sales script, that's so 80s. It's still very important. It should, of course, it shouldn't feel scripted. It's, it, it's a natural conversation. But you are the sales pro. You are prepared. You know exactly the flow of things and when you will move to which stage of the conversation. And you know exactly how you start and you know exactly how you end that conversation. And that's something that we rehearse. We do ABC role plays with our clients. We get their Zoom recordings and we tell them, look, second 15, you lost them. Look at their body language. You lost them with that word. Try this word the next time. And let's go to the sales script. Let's change it there. Then you set the price. And, and your audience knows these things. These are the basics of sales, right? When you say the price, how do you say the price? The, the timing, the confidence. And afterwards, the Obama-style silence. 16 seconds. Shut up. Don't say the price and then, yeah, but you get the bonus. No, don't be defensive. Just say the price and shut up. So these kind of things, that's sales technique. That's the third pillar. You work on these three things, sales frequency, price raised by 25%, conversion rate by 25%, you double revenue in 90 days. Interesting. And just kind of going down a, a rabbit hole for a minute here, you mentioned old school listening to the calls. So it, you and your team are actually manually listening to the, the calls of, of your clients? Yes, they pick per week two. They pick the best one to analyze and the worst one, one that they didn't close and one that they did close, the best one and the worst one where they want feedback. And they send us to these two in and we watch the full hour of both per client per week. Yes, manually. and. And even if there is software out there, we do it because we watch the body language and we are much more precise than any software right now. Maybe in a couple of years, software will be better than us. Right now, we are more precise. Interesting. All right. That sounds like a lot of value add as part of the service. Yes. Yes. And we care. You know, we don't have 7,000 clients a day. We have a, a couple dozens per day because we really go deep with them. It's one-to-one implementation work. So I want maybe we could talk now about your book. I don't know if it just launched or if it's getting ready to come out. Strategy Sprints. It's out there. It's on Amazon. Go grab it. Strategy Sprints. It's really good. I'm getting emails of people that say, hey, Simon, this is a really good book. I just bought it because I like you, but it's a really good book. It, it, I have more time to play with my kids. I'm playing soccer again. So it's it's really good. <laughs> I'm okay. surprised myself. Okay. okay. And I'm sure it's geared towards a lot of different types of industries and entrepreneurs, but where do you find that it's getting the most traction? Is there a specific industry, a specific size? I wrote it. I wrote it with a B2B entrepreneur in mind. B2B high ticket professional service that was in my mind. And now I'm getting, you know, those emails from, from house builders, blockchain educators, trading academy, heads of trading academies, all kinds of entrepreneurs worldwide 
and departments of, of Fortune 500 that are using those sprint sprint techniques. I'm getting I'm getting it from everywhere because it's it's generic enough, but it's perfect for the B2B high ticket services. And how does an entrepreneur go about creating that extra seven to 14 hours per week of time? I mean, I know you said identify things you're wasting time on, but just give me some simple blocking and tackling of how that happens. Yes, it's really the daily practice of writing down how you are allocating your time. And let's go deeper. So how, how does it work in the, in the details? People can download it, the, the sheet we are talking about at strategiesprints.com. And it will ask you to write down your day to day. So you pick your last three days, you write down what you did. And now there are four tiers that you will ask to categorize in. So, and basically the tiers are, are where you're doing admin or, or work in the trenches or work on the business. And so you will categorize, well, well, this Instagram post, yeah, it kind of moved some stuff forward, but not the whole business forward. Okay, tier three. And so you do that analysis. Then it will ask you, each task, did it give you energy or take energy from you? Then you do plus, minus, plus, minus, plus, minus. Then it will ask, can somebody in your team do it better than you? Or can you hire somebody? And the first question, the hire is always software. Your best employees is always software. Because, you know, they never get sick. They're always motivated. And they work 24-7. And, uh, and so this, this employee number one, can you automate it? Or can you hire somebody? And then in the end of this, it will cluster down there the main buckets where you should really delegate. It says, look, you have collectively had seven hours of Instagram this week. You say it's tier three, so it's not moving the needle forward. And you have seven hours. We have identified seven hours for you to cut this week. You do it for a couple couple weeks consecutive. and you get on average to 10 to 14 hours that you can free up either by outsourcing the task or by automating it to a software or by delegating it to somebody or just by cutting it because you you realize that you're working so much. Is, is all of this so important? Where can I cut? That's how you get to 10 to 14 hours freed up per week. Okay, and that sounds like a really almost simple and precise way to figure out what's important and what isn't. Yeah, it's very simple. It's like if you ask me, Simon, what did you eat yesterday? I say, I don't know. But if you ask me to write it down, I will find three cakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I will probably think about, you know, how to prepare a meal that's more healthy for the next day. And so I start thinking about more vegetables. It's the same thing. On the time on the time management front. So let me ask you, that sounds like one of those really simple but mind-blowing things. Have what what's been the reaction you've seen from people who've read the book or from clients about one of those simple yet profound topics? Oh La Larissa, she she's the founder of Investorella. She's helping women invest better, keep their money better, and then create wealth over over generations. She just wrote, oh my God, Simon, this just gave me back the time that I needed to enjoy my daughter again. I love that. That's To me, that's what it's all about. And I think some of the 
the best and most profound things that we're able to give clients is that really simple task that is just ultimately a game changer for them that is easy to execute and make such a big impact. That, that's amazing. So Simon, we're coming up to the end of our time together. What do you want to say in conclusion or words of advice for the folks listening out there, many of whom are entrepreneurs, business owners, people trying to move the needle in their own world and their own business? If you, if you run a business, try some of our free templates on the website, strategiesprints.com. They might really help in these tough times. The book is on Amazon, Strategy Sprints, and it's full of very practical blueprints, checklists, client stories told by them. I hang out at strategiesprints.com. All right. And Simon, how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and have a conversation? I hang out on our website. They can, they can jump on our calendars. And I'm also on YouTube a lot. I have two YouTube channels. One is called Simon Severino. One is called Strategy Sprints. We can chat also there. Well, Simon, thanks again for jumping on today. Great information. I know it's got me thinking about some things in my own personal life. And hopefully, more importantly, it got people listening to think about what are the processes, operations, and systems that they're running in their own business. So Simon Severino, author of Strategy Sprints and CEO of Global Consultancy Strategy Sprints. Thank you, everybody. Keep rolling. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.